Hello and welcome to the Irish Fire Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Halton. I'm an entrepreneur, investor, and financial independence enthusiast, sharing my financial freedom journey. Stay tuned and welcome aboard. I thought it might be fun to cover another episode on property. Most of you are likely aware at this stage that we actually bought two new investment properties in 2022. So it's been fairly active for us this year when it comes to buying new buy-to-let properties. This brings the total number of properties that we have now to four, with three of those being buy-to-lets and one being our own primary residence. And we are looking to purchase another two properties in 2023, though it should be noted that my hope is to purchase another two, which will give us five buy-to-let properties altogether. I'm then hoping to relax and start working a lot less and adopt a semi-retired lifestyle. But in today's episode, I don't want to speak about why we're adopting this strategy and why we think property is the number one investment for us, but I want to talk about how. I think so many times on podcasts and blogs, someone will talk about the why, when really, all we really want to know is how. And the how in this case is how do I do this and how do we do this in terms of putting a deal together and finding the right property. If you guys haven't done so already, do jump back to an episode I released in June of this year which is titled Buying Property in 2022, which is a good intro to this episode. And before I start, the usual disclaimer in relation to this is me telling my experience and what I do, but by all means, I am not a financial expert on this stuff, and I've learned this stuff through simple trial and error, and there's always going to be mistakes made along the way. That's just part of the learning. So let's get down to business. There is actually very few requirements when it comes to getting a mortgage for a buy-to-let property. Now, it should be noted that in more recent times, we have been buying through my web development company. However, it shouldn't actually matter. The fundamentals should still be the same, provided that you don't have too much personal debt. So personal loans can certainly go against you. But by and large, if you're not carrying too much personal debt and your income is reasonably solid, then you should be good to go from that front. I guess the hard part is that you're going to need at least a 30% deposit. And in some cases, you might even need a 35% deposit. It's going to depend. If you're buying outside of a company, maybe you're buying personally, then you might be able to use some equity from your primary residence, which means that you may only need a 10% deposit, so a minimum 10% cash, and then get the rest from the refinance of your own personal property. So that's certainly something to consider. We're actually in a situation now where the very first investment property that we purchased was recently valued for a lot more than when we did the deal back in 2020. So if you guys recall back in 2020, we actually moved out of our previous house. We turned it into a rental and we purchased a new property instead. And I recently had that property valued and it came in at 40,000 euros more than when we did the deal back in 2020. So it does give us a small opportunity to release some equity now from that investment property if we wanted to, to buy a new investment property, very much early days, but we'll wait to see what happens. Bottom line anyway, is that you need to work out how to get a 30% deposit as a minimum together. So that could be either 30% cash 
or 30% mix between cash and some sort of equity release. The second thing then is that you need to be focusing on the gross yield, which is effectively the gross annual rental income divided by the purchase price. So to keep it simple, let's say a property costs you 150,000 euros and you collected a gross rent of 15,000 euros per year, then you effectively have a 10% gross yielding property. And the reason that gross yield is important is because the banks will look at that when it comes to actually getting a mortgage. They need to ensure that the rental income is going to be high enough to cover the mortgage repayments. And I can tell you from my experience that they're typically looking for a gross yield of at least 7%. So just factor that in when you are looking at properties. And that will mean that if you are looking at properties that sit within the rent pressure zone and maybe they're on a fixed rent which was set a couple of years ago, a lot of those properties just aren't suitable because the rental yield can be too low. So the price that the seller is actually looking to get for the property exceeds the minimum rental yield required. And it should just be noted that there's a load of hidden costs. There always is. So there's stamp duty, legal fees, mortgage application fees, valuation fees, engineering reports, cost of repairs to the property and getting it ready to rent. There's also like sneaky ones like mortgage application fees. Sometimes there's a third party solicitor that you need to use, which is another cost as well. But I've very much taken the approach that I just accept these costs are part of making the deal happen. So just accept them. You can complain all you like, but they're not going to go away. It's just part of doing a deal and getting a mortgage in Ireland. I now have a nine point blueprint that I'm going to go through and I always do this as part of the process of looking at properties and it should be noted that even when I'm not actively buying I'm typically getting prepared for the next time that I might buy so at the moment I mentioned that I've been buying two properties a year which means typically I'm looking to buy every six months and that's roughly how long it takes me to put a deposit together for a new property so in that time I'll be scrolling through the listings on Daft and I'll be saving listings and every week I'll check to see which listings are still there and which ones have got sale agreed in the hope that a listing might still be there when it finally comes time for me to actually start actively looking in other words when I actually have some money together so let's run through what I go through from a step-by-step -step basis so step one I look to define what my max purchase price is. And it should be noted that a lot of banks when it comes to buy to let mortgages will also have a minimum purchase price. So for me, buying through a company, there's only one lender in Ireland that actually gives a mortgage for a company, which is ICS. And unfortunately, the process is actually becoming more and more complicated every time. So I don't know how much longer they will actually do these types of mortgages. So as far as I'm concerned, I'm just trying to basically buy until the banks tell me otherwise. From that point of view then, I know with ICS there's a minimum purchase price of 100,000 euros to qualify for a mortgage, but I also look at my max purchase price. And that really comes back down to the simple question of how much of a deposit do I have put together? Remember, we're gonna to need to show the bank that we have this deposit put together. So we're gonna need some sort of proof of that. So I need to know that I basically have this money available. Typically my minimum then, based on 100,000 minimum purchase is looking to have 30,000 euros. So once I hit 30,000 euros, I know that I can start actively looking for property with a price of around 100,000 euros. And as I add to that deposit, and as I save more and more, I know that my max purchase price will continue to go up. But it's important to know where that is from day one because you don't want to be finding yourself in a position where you end up putting down more money than you actually have and then struggling to make the deal happen. Once I have my max purchase price in my head, 
I then focus on location. Now location is completely subjective and everybody's gonna have a different ideal location that they want to have. For me, I try to cast a fairly wide net. And to date anyway, the three investment properties that we have bought have actually all been in commuter towns. So if you were to take a map of Limerick, We've actually managed to buy in three towns roughly the same distance from Limerick City, but in different directions, which is quite a good strategy, I think, because it means that we've got some nice coverage there and we're not carrying too much risk of all our properties being in the one location. We basically, for us, we tend to focus on commuter towns because those properties are typically outside of the rent pressure zone, which means that they will get the yields that we need to get the funding. And we try to find properties that are within 20 minutes of Limerick City, ideally. Once we have our max purchase price, and we have a location, then we can pretty quickly start to put those numbers into DARF to see if there's any properties available that happens to suit what we're looking for. And I have mentioned in the episode back in June that I'm not too worried on the property type. My preference would be a three bedroom semi-D, but they don't always come for the right price. And so we're fairly flexible. It's about finding the right property and making sure that these other things that I'm about to mention actually hit. So once we've identified a property that matches the first two things, the max purchase price and the right location, we then call the auctioneer up and we're basically trying to get some information from them before we look to go and make a viewing. Again, I've kind of learned this the hard way that you don't really want to go and waste your time and their time looking for a property before you know and ask a few questions. So the first question that I typically ask, first I ask, is the property still available? And is there any current offers on the property? If the answer is yes, I then want to try and get a little bit more information. So I'm looking to see how many bidders there are, so how many offers there has been, particularly if there's more than one bidder in the process. And then if I can, I'm trying to find out what type of bidder that we're bidding against, whether it be a cash investor or a cash buyer, or maybe someone looking to buy the property for their own primary residence. Either way, ideally we're looking to find properties that do not have any bidders, or maybe have been sitting a while, and these properties certainly typically aren't in turnkey condition, and that's okay, because we expect to need to put a little bit of money in when we actually acquire the property. And this will come down to just trying and calling a few properties, and there's a little bit of luck and a little bit of chance in this process. Some properties, for whatever reason, will have many bidders on them and others won't. So you just keep trying and you hope that you finally get one that looks to be good, that looks to be one that maybe has been sitting there for a while and doesn't have too much interest on it. As part of this process of calling the auctioneer, we will typically try to find out what the previous rental price was if it was rented and try and get an idea of what the market rent should be. And this is where if your property has been in the rent pressure zone, we need to be a little bit careful because we will be fixed on that rent. Whereas if the property hasn't been rented before or if it's outside the rent pressure zone, then we can do a fairly good summary of what market rent could be. And we can find that out by simply looking for similar properties in Daft to see what's available for rent when looking through the rental listings. At this point, we might go and actually have a look at the property, assuming everything's matched at this point, and let's assume that we look at the property and that we're interested in it. The next step, well, I mentioned in the last episode back in June that I talked about on property, is one that either goes your way or it doesn't. And that is, is the auctioneer willing to work with us? Some auctioneers are great. You can almost do a deal over a simple handshake, whilst other auctioneers are looking for every little bit of paperwork before you can put an offer in. So I talked in that episode back in June about some bad experiences when it came to actually looking to work with an auctioneer. And then I had other experiences where I had good experiences. And so 
certainly the third investment property that we bought in August was one which was simply almost a handshake deal. They were happy to work with us just based on us rocking up and I guess us engaging with them, asking the right questions and looking like we knew what we actually were doing. Impressions and first impressions are somewhat key when it comes to auctioneers and making sure that you do make a good impression and ask the right sort of questions and kind of know what you're doing certainly does help. I mentioned back on the episode in June that for a while I was rocking up in sweatpants and a hoodie and I quickly learned that I needed to make sure that the car was clean, that I was rocking up wearing respectable clothing and looking like I was actually there and knew exactly what I was doing. So yeah, really, really important. But we are looking to have an auctioneer that's going to be willing to work with us because we don't want to go through formal approval all the time. That can be a nightmare. We really want somebody that's going to be happy to work with us based on a letter from our mortgage broker or solicitor to say, yes, we're good on principle and maybe proof of deposit. So maybe sending a bank statement over when it comes to actually making the offer. And it should be noted, I never look to actually make an offer in person. I don't like to see the body language of the auctioneer. I just simply say to them, please give me your business card. I'll email you through an offer and then I can send through all the paperwork as well. Write up a professionally written email saying, here's our offer subject to what conditions and here's proof of finances and anything else that they need. And always give them the option to say, if you need anything else, please let me know. But I find that that process is a lot easier in terms of actually putting the deal together. And obviously ask the auctioneer what information they need, or at least sometimes I say, I will send you an offer on email and I'll attach this documentation and leave it at that and see how you get on. Once we have all of this in place, we now know that we have a property that's available with an auctioneer that's willing to work with us and everything in terms of making an offer is there. But this is just step one and there's so much that can happen from making an offer to actually securing the property. And it should just be noted that even if we go sale agreed on this property and we put down a booking deposit, that everything is refundable up until the point that contracts are signed and it can take three to four months after going sale agreed until you get to a point where you're actually signing contracts. So the process in Ireland is extremely extremely slow. So at this stage, there is no fear. All we've done at this stage is identify that we've actually got a property that we can actually put an offer in and the auctioneer is willing to let us put the offer in. And so now we kind of go back and this is where we might think and just make sure that we have all our ducks in a row. So at this point, I usually ask myself, who would actually want to live in this property? And this is why three bedroom semi-D properties are really, really attractive because so many different types of people in different situations would be willing to rent a three bedroom house. But in saying that, you can also look at pretty much any property type and just try and work out is the type of tenant that you're going to get in this property the sort of person that you want and the sort of person you want to be working with because the relationship with your tenant is ultimately going to determine if this experience is a good one or not. Assuming we're happy with that, we'll then need to work out what actually needs to be done and how much needs to be spent in terms of actually getting the property in rental condition. And this really will depend on the on the property. It should be noted that mortgage brokers, they're pretty much happy to give a mortgage for any property that they deem to be okay to live in. So even if the property is a BER of say G, that's okay for them as long as the property can be lived in. But of course, it may mean that you need to do significant work. And to be honest, I have looked at a couple of properties that were BR rated G and in the end have gone off them. The engineering report usually comes back and there's just too much going on, too much that needs to be done and too much hidden costs that can't always be valued that simply. So I typically try to find a BR of D or higher knowing that I can potentially put a little bit of money in to bring that BR rating up. I also think about the fact that we don't want our tenant moving into a property that they then have to spend a lot of money on heating and so on because ultimately they're just going to find themselves either a resenting the property or b not being able to come up with the rent because they're 
paying too much money on heating and so forth. At this stage, we put together a good idea of what the costs are going to be to make the deal happen. We've obviously got our deposit, we've got our legal costs, our stamp duty and so forth. We've then got an idea of what our costs are going to be to actually get the property in a ready condition. And we can now make sure that we're happy to commit and that the numbers look good. And really, this one just comes back down to a little bit of gut feeling, but also a little bit of trial and error in terms of looking at different deals and getting an idea of what's going to be good and not. Once we have all of that, we should be pretty good on paper. And really the last step is just to make sure that does the property feel right? Does it feel like a good deal? For us, we'd always tell ourselves, is it a property that we would live in ourselves? And you probably noticed, and I actually listened back to the episode that I recorded on property back in June, that I commented three times in that episode about trying to find a house with a south or west facing garden. And maybe it's just because I'm from New Zealand, where we do think a lot about the direction that a house is facing. It drives my wife batty, especially when we're looking for a house for our own selves. The amount of times a property came up, and my one requirement was that the house would have in either south or west facing garden and the number of houses that we dismissed because they were simply facing the wrong way. The truth is, is that it's actually pretty hard to find a self or west facing garden. Not that there's any less of them, but because they are less likely to sell. Having a garden that faces the right way does give a property X factor. But either way, you're just looking for something that makes a property unique and special and to give it some sort of X factor or make sure it has some sort of X factor. Because whilst it seems silly at a time where pretty much any rental will rent pretty quickly, there will come a day when the rental market isn't as hot as it is now. And people are going to be looking to rent something that maybe has something unique that makes it worthwhile for them. I will hope to try and cover more property episodes in the future. I am particularly interested to give more details as to why we've pursued such an aggressive property strategy when only two or three years ago it wasn't actually something that was of interest to us. But for now, if you have any questions on this episode, drop me an email at michael at firepodcast.ie. As always, I look forward to catching you on the next episode. <laughs>